Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Hey everybody, and welcome to the final official episode of The Animal Files for season three. And we are gonna continue our conversation and our mission to shed light on feline leukemia virus or FELV. Last week, if you remember, we gave you the rundown of what FELV is all about in order to help you better understand the risks and the effects of this particular condition. Perhaps you might be wondering, how can you manage the health of a feline leukemia virus positive cat or an FELV plus cat and maintain their health as long as possible? Well, in this episode, we are going to go even deeper into what it's like to care for an FELV cat, the choices of care that you have if your cat becomes diagnosed with the illness, the emotional challenges and both giving and receiving support. And if you remember last week's episode, this is something I know a little bit about regards to my experience caring for two FELB positive cats. So we are going to start this episode off. And the first question I'm going to toss over to Miranda is, is receiving a diagnosis of feline leukemia virus a death sentence? Yeah, I'm sure this is something that a lot of people believe is the case. And yes, if they have a certain type of FELV infection, it will eventually catch up to them and become fatal. However, this is not always the case. And even if it is the type of infection where it could become fatal, there's still the option that they can live for many years before that happens. Yeah. So basically, it's not really a death sentence any more than if your cat has a cold, a death sentence. <laughs> like It could be either or. They can live many, many years or they can have a short life. And hopefully these, these different infections that we're going to go over now is going to help give them a little bit more information on what to look like. Mm-hmm. But I want to just throw in here right at the get-go is that no matter what infection, type of infection your cat has, they still want to live. Mm-hmm. And unless they are suffering, there is no reason to shorten their life on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only thing that you have to be aware of is preventing them from being able to spread it to others. Yes. So there's actually four types of infections that can occur if your cat actually becomes exposed to feline leukemia virus. The first one is an abortive infection. And this can occur in 20 to 30% of cats. What happens with this type of infection is that your cat could produce an early and effective immune response where the viral replication is prevented and the virus infected cells are completely eliminated. I wonder if this is the type that we were talking about last week, that Maisie, just the second test that she did where her body would just eliminate what came from the mother. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's the type of infection that we were hoping for. Yeah, that's probably the most likely case. But the other two that I'm going to talk about next may also be potentially what was being thought of. Okay. So the second type of infection is the regressive infection, which can occur in 30 to 40% of cats. So what happens with this type of infection is that the body will still elicit a strong immune response, but it's not quite as effective as with an abortive infection. In this case, viral replication will occur, but it is limited and some virus infected cells will be eliminated, but a small percentage will still remain in the body. However, it is still possible that these cats could still eventually fully eliminate the virus from their system. When a cat has this type of infection, the typical blood test that would be used to detect the virus, which is the ELISA, E-L-I-S-A, and the IFA, IFA blood test, 
these will not be effective in this type of infection because it's going to show negative for the antigen or negative for the virus. Okay. But there's another type of blood test that can be used called PCR. And this can be used to help detect the virus, which could be present in a small percentage of the blood cells. I think that's what they were using when we were doing pandemic testing. Mm. I think that was the main way of testing for the virus. Mm -hmm. It takes a tiny, small amount and replicates it to the point where it can be detected in the blood test. Mm. So when a cat has this type of infection, they are not contagious but they could still infect other cats through blood transfusions. Okay. As well, it could also become a full-blown infection if their immune system does become suppressed for some other reason, if the cat has not been able to fully eliminate the virus at that point. The third type of infection is a latent infection, but there's a little bit of confusion between the latent and the regressive infections because... This type of infection is similar to the regressive infection, but seems to have a higher percentage of remaining infected cells. And some sources seem to show that this type of infection is separate from the regressive type of infection, but other sources also suggest that it is the same thing as the regressive infection. So there doesn't seem to be a full consensus on that. But with a latent infection, there is a pretty low chance that these cats will fully eliminate the virus. They're also not contagious if they have a latent infection, and they will not develop any secondary illnesses from the virus unless the virus becomes reactivated. So we talked a little bit about this last week where this is similar to the herpes virus. It doesn't ever go away, but it kind of goes into a so-called type of remission, where it's sort of stored in the body, but it's basically dormant. And then when there is some kind of stress, and it might depend on the level of stress and how well your cat responds to the stress, might have a bearing to what extent if that virus will end up being reactivated or not. Yeah. I think that maybe the confusion or the different opinions as far as the regressive and the latent infections go is because I don't know, maybe there's a mode of thought out there that it will always be like a mm. herpes infection where you can never get rid of it because there's so little known mm -hmm. about the virus. I mean, the one thing that drives me nuts, especially now that, you know, I'm on a mission to save mm. these cats from euthanasia mm -hmm. is there needs to be more research. Mm -hmm. There needs to be people putting money towards figuring out this disease just as much as we did when we were trying to figure out HIV. Mm. Just because it only affects cats doesn't make it less of an importance. Right. Because who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with this virus in the future? So the more research we can put towards this, the more we can understand. And then we'd figure out, okay, is the latent infection the same as regressive mm -hmm. or not? Mm -hmm. You're not going to know that until somebody's putting money in to do the research. Mm -hmm. And we need to do the research because these animals deserve it. Mm -hmm. They really do. And both sources that I looked at were both veterinary related sources. So it's not just somebody's general opinion. Yeah. But that's why the percentage of the latent infections is unknown because there is this discrepancy between is it separate from the gotcha. regressive infection or is it the same? And right now it's yeah. not really known for sure. But like the regressive infection, the testing would be the same. So you would use the PCR test rather than the ELISA or the IFA test. Okay. Now the last infection is the progressive infection, which is what most people think of when they hear about the feline leukemia virus. And this actually only occurs in about 30 to 40% of cats. So it's not like a high, high, high percentage of like 80% or something. But in this type of infection, the immune system is no longer able to get rid of the virus. Maybe because the immune system was already weakened for some reason. But whatever the reason is, that virus is not going to get eliminated. And it ends up spreading to the lymph nodes and the organs. And the speed of this is going to vary from cat to cat, which is why there is such a variation in how long your cat will be able to stay healthy. Now, regardless of what infection they have, until it's actually confirmed that they are completely 
feline leukemia virus free, you want to make sure you keep them separated from any other cats. But definitely, if they have the progressive infection, this is strongly recommended. When they have this type of infection, these cats are going to be actively shedding the virus and will likely eventually succumb to some type of feline leukemia virus-related disease. Yeah. Maisie and Frankie fall underneath this. Yeah. They were fine until they weren't. Mm -hmm. Frankie made it two years. Maisie made it three and a half. So even within the same litter, they had different lifespans. Now, I would also think that maybe, you know, we were talking about how, you know, my gut's telling me that this was just probably a generationally embedded infection in the DNA of the mother. Mm. Like the mother got it from her mother, like that type of thing. Mm -hmm. When you have that, it's already had several years to replicate into the DNA. And then we have this final litter it's already been replicated so much within the mother's body that the kittens just had too much of her DNA in them. And it was just just no way that their little bodies could eliminate the virus because it was so heavily embedded into the DNA. And I think that's, again, it's why we need more research because if we can stop the spread in feral colonies, Mm -hmm. I think that's going to roll over and we can hopefully get this disease to a small percentage of cats because right now there's not enough research and there are so many cats on this planet right now in wild cat colonies or feral cat colonies or stray cat colonies they're all different ferals and strays are different that it's just being proliferated through those colonies and the only thing we have right now is, oh, well, let's use the nice mm-hmm. Why don't we start to figure out the source? Why don't we start to figure out why this disease gets so embedded? Why this disease gets so transmittable and work to eliminate it and not just say, well, it's just a thing cats get. That to me is such, I mean, I think of Maisie and I think of Frankie and I think of all of the cats and Maisie and Frankie's sister, Brooke, who probably never even made it to a home because we couldn't get her at the time I got Maisie and Frankie. She wouldn't come out front of the deck. So she ended up going to the shelter. Almost guaranteed she was probably euthanized Mm. right away. And all of these other cats that this happens to that either have to worry about, you know, getting sick or they're not being supported by their vets or they're just being euthanized. Like we can eliminate all that stuff, but we just did research and we just tried to figure out how this thing works. If we figured out what's progressive, what's latent, what's regressive, what's abortive, like really dove in to the science to figure out this disease so we can save millions of cats in the future from having this. Because yes, they can live a really long life. You can have cats with progressive infections that the illnesses they get because their immune system cannot fight them off are very hard on the cats. It's pneumonia or cancer or whatever. It's, I don't know. I just think we need to do more, but I'll get off my soapbox now. (laughs) (laughs) So regardless of what type of infection they might get, and it is possible too that they could be exposed and not even take in the virus at all. There is that small possibility. But since it is unknown at the time of exposure, what type of infection could develop, if any, it's really, really important to get more than one feline leukemia virus test done, at least two 30 days apart. Mm -hmm. And maybe you might need to do more than that. In some cats, it can actually take up to four months to figure out what stage the feline leukemia virus infection is at. So as we've already sort of talked about, some veterinarians and others might encourage you to euthanize your cat right away. But many, 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 many cats can live relatively healthy and fulfilling lives for the months or years they could still have if they receive proper care. Yeah, I know somebody who's had a FELV positive cat that lived to be 12, 13 years old. That's a long life. Mm -hmm. It might not be common, but it is definitely a possibility. But I think it's becoming more common. Maybe that's because veterinary care is getting a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But when I first found out that Maisie and Frankie were FELV positive, Mm -hmm. I had many people come to me on Facebook in support 
to tell me their experience. And I had a good handful of people that reached out to me that said they had one and lived many years. Oh, wow. Okay. Hmm. So I had at least two or three that had them live over the age of 11. Hmm. And then I had, I think, a couple that had them living over seven. So like we say on every single podcast, (laughs) we can't drill this in hard enough. Every cat is an individual. You can't put a cat with this particular condition in the same box as the next cat with this particular condition, because they're all going to be different. Mm -hmm. I mean, just in Maisie and Frankie, they were in the same womb and Frankie only made it two years and then ended up passing away of the blood cancer, leukemia, and Maisie lived three and a half and died of lymphoma right there. Same womb mates, two different diseases, two different paths. It was different. You just have to take individuality and you cannot let a vet or any other person tell you your cat belongs in a box because they have something because you don't know. Mm -hmm. You need to be informed. You need to be vigilant and diligent and be an advocate for your animal. And you have to have a big heart. Yeah. And the only way you can be an advocate for your animal is by doing your best to understand as much of this as you can. Yeah. And listening to your own gut as well. Yeah, (laughs) that's a big one. Mm -hmm. So even though we do not encourage you to euthanize your cat, if you have received a feline leukemia virus diagnosis for them, there still unfortunately at this point is no treatment, but we can still provide supportive care and we can provide treatment for the secondary conditions that can come up to help extend and enhance your cat's life and possibly allow them to live for many years. Yeah. So there's a lot of different options and some of the options in managing the care of your feline leukemia positive cat include but are not limited to these these options. And maybe Victoria will have some extra things that she will add in. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the options is keeping your feline leukemia positive cat indoors. However, if you use a catio or you let them outside in the backyard, which is an option if there's no other cats around, but you always need to supervise just simply because if there's a catio, you can have other cats potentially come on the outside of that catio. Yeah. Which might still be minimal risk because they're not going to be able to get really into a cat fight. Well, maybe a scratching or something, but they're not going to be sharing dishes and litter boxes and things like that. So the risk of transmission is still pretty low. Yeah. But I would still recommend supervising and preventing any other cats from getting close to your feline leukemia positive cat. Yeah. And keeping your cat away from cats that are already roaming that may have the virus as well. Yes. Even though the risk is low, it is passed with saliva. So let's just say you have a territorial stray cat or roaming cat that comes up to your catio and wants to start a fight through the whatever medium you're using to separate, whether it's chicken wire, whether it's screen, however your catio is made, they may attack the side of the thing and hiss and a very angry hissing cat will spit kind of like imagine a human screaming at the top of their lungs spit flies out of their mouth Mm. and so if there is some type of like i said it may be low and it may be an extreme version of what could happen Mm -hmm. but that is something to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Personally, you know, I would have loved to have a catio for Maisie and Frankie, but I would have made massive moderations in the catio that would put like acrylic panels or something like that. So there's just no way like three feet up the side where they can still see out, but nothing can get at them Mm. or they can't get at anybody else. That's just my take. But I'm also a very obsessive cats need to stay indoors kind of person. So I would probably choose more of a catio that is raised off the ground around the windows and stuff like that and have something built up around the house, but off the ground. Mm. But that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) 
But just know that an angry cat's going to spit and FELV is passed through saliva. So depending on the style of catio you have or depending on if your backyard has a way for other cats to get in, even if it's not common, just know that there are small percentages out there that you can still pass it along or get it. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you've got any other cats in your home that you know are feline leukemia negative, ideally you want to keep the feline leukemia negative cats separated from your feline positive cats. Definitely. However, there is consideration, you know, maybe if you're only in a one bedroom apartment, that might be really challenging, possibly you could choose to get all of your feline leukemia negative cats vaccinated for the virus and make sure that, you know, that you're monitoring the interaction between these cats and that you are always using separate dishes for your feline leukemia positive cat and always making sure it's not sitting there, you're washing them right after the cat is finished using them. That can Mm -hmm. be more difficult with a litter box, however. So yeah. It's generally much simpler to try to keep them separated, if at all possible. Yeah, because even the vaccine, you're only going to be about 85% protected. Yes. But you have to understand, if you have a household with both positive and negative cats, you have to understand what type of infection the positive cat has. Mm -hmm. You have to be on the ball with your research. You have to be on the ball with your protocols, your personal protocols on what you plan on doing to keep your animals safe. And I'm going to be a little bit of a dark cloud here for a second. If you do have a household with negative and positive cats, and even though you get your negative cats vaccinated, you still have to keep in the back of your mind that you may eventually, could be, possibly, maybe, have an entire house of feline leukemia virus positive cats at some point. You have to keep in the back of your mind. You cannot have a home with both positive and negative and think that all is going to be perfect for the rest of the life of those cats because you don't know what's going to happen. There's that element of unknown because the vaccinations are not 100% effective Mm -hmm. and it is a lot of work to keep litter boxes separate and bowls separate even if you have a big house. I mean, if you have a giant house with a west wing and a south wing, I mean, that's a different story altogether because you can keep them separated completely. But if you have an average house or a smaller house, you have to have in the back of your head that small possibility that if you bring a feline leukemia virus positive cat into your home, that you may eventually have a home full of feline leukemia virus positive cats. Mm -hmm. Is that a given? No. But you have to have that in the back of your mind and you have to be prepared for that. You need to be prepared for anything that could come. It's possible people have done it, but it's not something that you can just say, oh, I love these cats are coming into my home. We'll be fine. Mm -hmm. You can't think like that. You have to be 100% informed and prepared. So I will remove the dark cloud right now because it is not all negative, but I want to just add that. Because we can't take things for granted. Mm -hmm. Another way to help manage the care of a feline leukemia virus positive cat is to minimize their exposure to stress, potential illnesses, and risks of infection. So you want to prevent fighting amongst your cats. Because even if you've got more than one feline leukemia positive cat that you are housing together in a separate area from the feline leukemia negative cats, or maybe that's all you have is just the feline leukemia positive cats, those cats could still end up fighting and developing an infection. Mm -hmm. So understanding the hierarchy between the cats, their personalities, and all of those kinds of things is very important in this type of situation. You might also need to help them with cleanliness. So with certain types of cats, You might need to do extra cleaning of their eyes, their ears, and their teeth to help prevent infections. Yep. And, you know, we're always an advocate for grooming. Not all of them need, like other than the cleaning of the eyes, ears, and teeth, not all of them need to have this other type of grooming because they're 
usually pretty good at taking care of themselves. Yeah. But if you can encourage regular brushing, even if their fur doesn't necessarily need it, but just, you know, finding a brush that they can tolerate, that they'll accept, and it doesn't mean you have to do it hard or anything like that, but if you do regular brushing, you can help to stimulate their circulatory and lymphatic systems, Yeah, which can improve their health. Yeah. And that's kind of what I did with Maisie because Maisie didn't like to be brushed. So I would just kind of do like a little bit of finger brushing massage kind of thing to kind of get the lymphatics mm. moving mm-hmm. and to kind of keep her coat healthy. And I constantly, constantly check their eyes, their ears, their teeth. We were lucky. Mm. Their ears were pink their whole lives. Their eyes were clear their whole lives. They didn't have any illnesses. They never had any health burdens Mm -hmm. during their lives. And we maintained a a low stress environment. We never not had feel away running through the house. We had feel away in the house all the time to help with stress levels because they did have a lot of fears and the feel away, not sponsored, but it's an amazing miracle product in my eyes. Definitely kept them calmer and they loved the windows. We made sure that they wore sweaters. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to let them sit in the window when it's below 40 degrees without a sweater. I treated them like I would a toddler. You know, I would never let my toddler hang out in the window with no shirt on or no coat on. So I didn't let my cats do it either. Mm -hmm. And those are some of the ways that I was able to keep my FELV positive cats healthy for most of their lives. Yeah. Actually all their lives because it was just a two weeks. Mm-hmm. Frankie had two weeks of illness and Maisie had two weeks of illness and they were gone. Mm-hmm. So that's a long time to maintain health on a cat that had such an embedded version of FELV in their system. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a good point of mentioning about basically the massaging is like you don't have to actually use a tool. You can just do a gentle massage. I just want to mention about the, the the brushing or the massage in relation to stress. You also have to understand your cat's personality in regards to that as well, because a lot of the time we don't recognize our cat's signals to say, I've had enough Yeah, and we can overstimulate them, which is a stress. Yes. And cats can get overstimulated pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. depending on who they are. Obviously, some cats just love it, need it up all day long. But there are some that get super overstimulated really fast. Mm -hmm. I think that was Maisie's problem. Maisie would get overstimulated. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Frankie was fine. Frankie didn't mind it as much. But yeah, Maisie would be like, okay, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Just like within within a minute. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. And I know this next point is something you did for Maisie and Frankie as well. And we're both very strong advocates just in general Yes, for doing this, regardless of whether your cat has an illness or not, is to feed your cat balanced and nutritious foods. Yes. So if they've got the diagnosis and you feed your cat the cheap canned food and cheap dry food, you are encouraging that disease to take hold much more quickly. Yes. You may not realize it, but that the cheaper foods have a lot of sugar in it Mm -hmm. or breaks down to sugar very quickly because it's so overly processed and it's so full of fillers and it doesn't matter what virus it is. Viruses love sugar. Mm -hmm. So the cheaper the food you feed them, the more you may, I guess, support the environment of the virus (laughs) (laughs) right? instead of supporting the environment of your feline. Before we even knew they were sick, we chose to feed them a freeze-dried raw diet. And I would think that that was one of the main things that kept them so healthy. They never had any gastro problems. They never had any coat problems. They never, they just never had anything like that because they were eating a food that was designed for them to digest efficiently. Mm -hmm. And that allowed them to be healthier. Right. So that's another thing to keep in mind too, is that if you feed your cats a lot of vegetable matter, fruit matter, grain matter, that is also creating stress for your cat's body because their digestive system cannot process any of that. Yes, that is true. So it's a good idea to as well, talk to your vet about 
possible routine gastrointestinal and external parasite controls. Now, when it comes to treatments, as we said, there's no treatment for the feline leukemia virus. But if they get a secondary illness or condition from this virus, then your veterinarian can help treat these symptoms with things like antibiotics, anti-inflammatories, appetite stimulants, different types of holistic treatments, possible blood transfusions, or maybe some other type of therapy if it's needed. Yeah. So it's good to know what is normal for your cat so that when possible, you can start to seek treatment for your feline leukemia positive cat at the earliest possible opportunity. Because treatments can help to extend your cat's life and allow them to continue living a happy life for a while longer. Yeah. If your cat has a cold and they're FELV positive, get them to the vet ASAP. Mm -hmm. Don't just think that your cat's going to get over its cold because it may not. It may turn into pneumonia. So at the sound of a cough or a sniffle or any type of change in behavior, change in behavior, or just even a common issue that most cats deal with Mm -hmm. at the first hint, you bring them to that. Mm -hmm. You have to be an advocate and you have to be, like I said, diligent. The second you hear a sniffle to the vet pronto, because you want to make sure that anything that happens, you get to it really quick Mm -hmm. before it proliferates in something more that might end up being too late. Mm -hmm. Now there are, some controversial treatments that may help to reduce the viral replication of the FELV virus and improve the condition of infected cats, but they also may actually be harmful. So make sure you have a conversation with your vet before you start any type of treatment. Yeah. You want to schedule a physical examination twice a year to help catch any changes in your cat's health as well as monitoring them on a daily basis by, as I said, becoming familiar with what's normal for them and what is not. There's also considerations around spaying and neutering if they are still intact when they've been diagnosed. Yes. Maisie stayed intact. We did not get Maisie spayed. I was not going to open her up to any infections that could find their way into her system because of a surgery that major. But Frankie did get neutered because that's an easy surgery. It's not invasive. And it allowed the two of them to still stay really super close and be each other's besties without me having to worry about Frankie getting Maisie pregnant. Mm -hmm. So that was that was my thing. I mean, I was nervous for him to go under, but because it was not an invasive surgery, I thought it was best. Because it was not safe to get Maisie spayed. Mm -hmm. And since Maisie had already had a couple issues early on with the vaccines, I'm like, there's just no way I'm going to open her up to anything that could potentially kill her. So we just kept her intact and Frankie got neutered. Mm -hmm. That's how we were able to deal with it. And I'm glad because they were each other's besties for Frankie's entire life. Mm -hmm. I have so many pictures of them hugging each other and sleeping together, all wrapped up together. I mean, it was a beautiful relationship that couldn't have happened if I had kept Frankie intact. Yeah. So if you decide that you feel it's best to not have your cat spayed or neutered, this would be another reason why you need to keep them separated from other cats. Now, if they're roaming... Not only are they at risk of spreading the virus through cat fights or other saliva-related activities, but now they can also potentially spread the virus through mating. We don't want that. No. So lastly, before we go to the break, if your cat has been diagnosed with feline leukemia virus, the way to be able to tell if there's any changes is Do things like carefully monitor their weight, monitor their appetite, monitor their activity level, monitor their elimination habits, monitor the appearance of the mouth and the eyes, and monitor their behavior. This is where having a journal of some sort is beneficial because if you're just doing it by memory, memories can play tricks on us. And yes. (laughs) 
we could end up seeing something where there is a change, but then we tell ourselves, oh, you know, yeah, that's, there's nothing really there and we just don't even really notice it. So if we watch for symptoms such as weight loss, noticing enlarged lymph nodes, which is something that Victoria noticed with Maisie after getting vaccines, Mm -hmm. noticing any signs of upper respiratory distress, which could be changes in their breathing, eye discharges, nose discharges, and watching for any issues with their oral health. Pay attention to any changes that is different from their normal, no matter how minor it might seem. Yeah. Before we go to break, one of the things that happened on both Frankie and Maisie, now, like I said, they were healthy all the way up until they weren't. But when they decided to become unhealthy (laughs) or the virus decided to say, oh, okay, it's time. Both of them. The first thing that I noticed was a change in their breathing, Mm. especially Maisie, because Maisie had that big tumor in her chest. So it was affecting all of her internal organs. Frankie was leukemia, so he had lesions, but that was the first thing. And wasn't even 24 hours before I got them to the vet from the first signs of their breathing change. And before we actually got into the car to go get the diagnosis, the other thing, now this is specific to cats who end up contracting cancer. Their pupils started to be a different size. Mm. So both Frankie and Maisie had different size pupils right before we went to the vet. And that is indicative of something neurological, which then led us to finding out that they had cancer. Mm. So that's why you need to be on the ball. If you notice even the slightest change, you have to already be planning to get them to the vet because it was within 24 hours that I noticed the breathing change and then the pupil change. And two weeks later, both of them were gone. So that's another thing to keep an eye on. If your cat is not having a lot of breathing difficulties, but you do notice a change in the shapes of their pupils or the size of the pupils, be one eye that's got a large pupil and one that's got a normal pupil, or one's got a small one and one's got a normal one, that is your sign that something major is probably going on. You cannot wait. Doesn't matter how small the issue is. You cannot wait. You must bring your FELV positive cat to the vet at the first signs of anything. So keep your journal and keep an eye on your animals. And I'm not saying that you have to do this. It's not something that you're always going to be focusing on 24 hours a day because most of the time your cat's going to be normal, loving, playful, sleeping with you, cuddling with you. Just pay attention. Just keep an eye. Be aware. We always talk about conscious pet parenting. Just be aware of everything and then act accordingly. So that is what I want to leave you with for this half. When we come back, we're going to go a little bit deeper. And hopefully at the end of this episode, you will have a font of knowledge that you can pull from as a feline guardian pet owner. And you'll have a good foundational knowledge where you can jump off of and start learning for yourself. Hopefully we can all join in on this mission and help these cats live thriving, better lives. So stick around and we will be right back. Hi, everyone. We hope you've been enjoying season three. It's been a great couple of years so far. Moraine and I just want to take a moment and thank you all for joining us on this journey and listening each and every week. If you want to help us out, you can just head to the website www.theanimalfilespodcast.com. Calm. Now that that's out of the way, let's get back to the conversation. And we are back. We threw a lot at you. And we hope that you got a nice fresh cup of coffee during the break or your favorite beverage because we're going to get to the heart of this condition now. And we're talking about your heart because this could be a really difficult time for many of you. And I know what it's like. I feel you. If you're dealing with this now, I'm with you. I understand. So between last week's episode and the first half of this episode, you learned what FELV actually is and how it can spread. 
We talked about the risks of infection, prevention, testing, types of infection, and how to care for your FELV positive cat. And that was a lot. So thanks for sticking with us. Hopefully you're getting a lot out of this. Now we're going to talk a little about potential symptoms, but mostly we're going to focus on the emotional challenges and where you can find support. So I'm just going to turn it over to Miranda and we will continue this final episode of season three. Mm -hmm. Well, we've already mentioned a few times that the lifespan of a cat that's been diagnosed with feline leukemia virus, it could end up being a few weeks, a few months to potentially several years. Mm -hmm. But at some point, your cat is most likely going to start showing some of these different types of symptoms. You might see just some very generic symptoms. And I say generic symptoms because these can be symptoms of many types of illnesses. And that could be a decrease in appetite, weight loss, an unhealthy coat, fever, pale or inflamed gums. You might start to notice infections. You might see them vomit or have diarrhea. Maybe you might notice seizures or various types of behavior changes. You could see other types of symptoms that could include unusual vocalizations, muscle weakness or paralysis, jaundice, bruising, various types of organ issues, arthritis, and that one that Victoria had mentioned earlier of the difference in pupil size. Yeah. And these symptoms that I'm mentioning are by no means all encompassing. There can be so many other types of symptoms that could end up displaying. So again, it's really, really, really important to become aware of what is normal for your cat in the early stages, because that's the only way you are going to know when something becomes abnormal and you can end up seeking the health support your cat needs from your veterinarian. But keep in mind that these symptoms we are mentioning are not actually symptoms of feline leukemia virus itself. They are the symptoms of any secondary illnesses or conditions that could develop as a result of their weakened immune system. Yeah, I don't think there's any known symptoms directly related to FELB because it's just an immune thing. Mm -hmm. It itself does not have any symptoms. It doesn't have any parameters that say, oh yeah, this is definitely feline leukemia virus. Mm -hmm. It's always the secondary ones that cause the actual problem. Right. Well, I guess you could say that really the only symptom of feline leukemia virus is the weakened immune system. Yeah. But you're not going to yeah, know that, that until these other conditions start to develop. Exactly. Or you get a test. Yeah. You know, we both really understand that caring for a feline leukemia positive cat can be very emotional. It can be very heartbreaking to find out that your cat has this condition. And it becomes even harder if you end up focusing on the idea of them having only a short lifespan. Yeah, you, you can't focus on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I try really hard to always keep in mind that, oh, okay, well, I'm going to do what I can. These cats are going to live as long as I can help them live. That was my goal. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, I mean, yeah, I was hopeful that I would just eliminate it altogether. Of course. I mean, I'm, I'm a mom. I was hopeful. <laughs> but my main goal was... I'm going to keep these cats as healthy as possible. And I never focused on the what ifs because that would have destroyed my emotional state mm -hmm. because I love, I was so in love with these cats. I think I kept saying Miranda can probably vouch for me when we had the kittens. I kept saying, I am in love with these cats. I don't just love them. I'm in love with mm -hmm. them. They were special. They were just amazing cats. And so I wanted to make sure that I was in the proactive state of mind mm -hmm. as opposed to the what if state of mind. I was going to do this to make them healthier. I was going to do this to make them healthier. And I think that is what made them super healthy while they were here because I had that mindset. I never sat in the, oh, well, they're going to die soon. I never sat in that energy. Yeah. And you can't, you just have to be proactive and you just have to do what's best for them in the moment and love them despite everything and just keep positive and just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Mm -hmm. You know, and even though this can be a very challenging time for you, there are sources out there that can offer you support during this time. Yes. Of course, one of those sources is us. 
and more specifically Victoria because of her specific experience. Yeah. But you can also look at talking with others who have also had experience with caring for a feline leukemia positive cat because they can provide you with a lot of insight. However, you need to be careful of misinformation. Just be discerning about what you hear and try to listen to your gut and the proper professionals. Yeah, my main support was my vet. Mm -hmm. I had a good relationship with my vet and we worked together, Mm -hmm. you know, and my own personal research, but my main support was my own personal vet Mm -hmm. and she was wonderful. There's also some support groups out there. There's a couple of Facebook groups that you can look into. There's actually quite a number of them, but I'm only listing two because there is just too many to list. Mm -hmm. But one of them is called Owners of FELV Plus slash FIV Plus Cats. And another one is called FELV Plus Support Group. Now we'll put both of those links in the show notes so that you can access them. But you can also just do a search in Facebook for feline leukemia positive groups. Probably just don't even have to necessarily put positive, just put FELV or feline leukemia virus and just do a search for that. I think one of the important things that maybe people might not do is give yourself time to accept the diagnosis. Grieve if you need to and be gentle with yourself. You might find that self-care could become very important to you. If not at the beginning, then maybe when or if your cat starts to show signs of illness. That's the important part. Yeah. It's not helpful to beat yourself up and say things like, oh, I I shouldn't have let my cat outside or I shouldn't have let these cats interact with each other or whatever the case might be. You know, maybe there wasn't even anything that could have been done, like as in the situation with Victoria, where she just adopted these cats well, I don't know if it was really adoption, but ended up bringing these cats into her home without knowing their history or their condition or anything like that. You know, maybe there might have been something that you could have done differently, maybe not. But regardless of whatever it is, beating yourself up, judging yourself is not going to be helpful. Yeah, I'm just going to add something here. Um, I kind of fell into this a little bit because Macy was traveling with us. And, you know, we were fine when we were driving to travel. But the one thing when we went to South Carolina and she went on the plane for the first time, it was really stressful for myself, Maisie and my husband. On our way down, we flew out of JFK. It was horrible. They never even offered us a private screening or anything like that. So I had to stand in the middle of a thousand people with a cat who was afraid of people in my arms. Mm. I couldn't have anything to keep her calm. I couldn't keep her blanket with her that had feel away on it. I couldn't do anything. And then we come back and 10 days later, she's dying. And I kept saying to myself, did I put her in a stressful situation so much that it killed her? Mm. And then I'm thinking, okay, first of all, shut up, Victoria. That's kind of what I said (laughs) to myself. Her tumor was so big that it was growing before we left. It had to have been because in three weeks, we weren't going to go from no lymphoma to having her entire chest full of a tumor. Cancer does not grow that fast. It can grow fast, but not that fast. Not from nothing to death in three weeks. It's just, especially with lymphoma. I mean, I had another cat that had lymphoma and it took a year and a half for him to go. So I had to talk myself out of the guilt Logically, I knew that there's no way that I could have prevented this. Logically, I knew that that trip didn't kill her. But the guilt that I had because it happened so soon after, I was beating myself up. And luckily, I have been doing a lot of personal development. I was was able to recognize it and I was able to navigate it. But it's not easy to not blame yourself. I was blaming myself. Well, I, sh- I should have gotten her to the vet sooner. And I should have gotten this. And I should have gotten that. Should have gotten that. Don't should yourself. Just stop it. Don't should all over yourself. Give yourself grace. Mm-hmm. Things happen for a reason. And yes, there may be some things that we do that might not help, but you are not the cause. And you have to understand that things will progress as they're supposed to progress. All we can do is just be kind to ourselves 
do our best. And when all is said and done, open your home to another cat. Doesn't have to be FELV positive cat. Mm-hmm. Just open your home because if you loved your animal so much, that animal wants you to give that love to somebody else. I just wanted to add that because I fell into that. I fell into the guilt. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. You have to honor yourself and you have to honor the relationship you had with your animal and you have to honor what your animal wants for you. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got through. So definitely give yourself time to accept the diagnosis and grieve if you need to, but always be gentle with yourself mm-hmm. and honor everything. And this might be a time where you might need to reach out for support from people who will help to lift you up and not put you down. Exactly. Also appreciate however much time you will end up having with your special feline leukemia positive cat. They can still bring a ton of joy and love to your home. Focus as much as possible on the positive experiences and just let go of the what ifs. This is only going to weigh you down and is not supportive to your cat. Exactly. Yeah. The energy that you put out, if you are living in the future and it's in a future of fear, that's actually going to create stress for your cat. You're probably going to find that taking care of a feline leukemia cat is going to require more care and attention than your typical cat. So that could potentially be a bit of a drain on your energy, mental, physical energy, depending on who you are and how well you're able to manage this. So give yourself the rest that you need or pamper yourself with a bubble bath or something, you know, things that are going to, yeah, things that are going to help to re-energize you. And just remember your cat, regardless of the diagnosis, your cat can still be a cat. Yes. And a lovely one at that. Mm -hmm. Last week, I told you that Frankie and Maisie were full of so much joy and love and fun and excitement about life. It was, it literally was a joy in my life to see them experience joy, Mm -hmm. to see them have this life that they love to watch the butterflies and to stare out the windows for hours on end and, and just really enjoy everything. I mean, they, they didn't take anything for granted and whether they knew it or not, I don't know. I mean, they probably did (laughs) on some energetic level, but they enjoyed life. They really enjoyed life and they filled our lives with so much joy because they were full of joy. You know, and even up to the, the day Frankie died, he was having seizures and I was able to pick him up at one point and and cradle him. And he still was purring. Mm-hmm. You know, granted, purrs doesn't always mean that they're happy. But in this particular instance, what made him happy was being in my arms because he wasn't purring before that. Mm. He was only purring when I put him in my arms. So that just goes to show you how close and connected they want to be to you despite how they are. Yeah, well, I mean, that was probably an indication that you were providing him with some comfort by doing that. Yes. And that's something that cats can do, even if they're in pain or suffering, if they know they're receiving some comfort and they're sensing that comfort, then that can cause them to purr. Yeah. I mean, this was the day he passed. So this was the very last time. And I was able to hold him twice. I held him that one time when he was purring and then he started having another seizure. So I'm like, okay, I'll gently put you back into your, your bed. Mm-hmm. And then the second time I was able to hold him that day was the day he died and he actually died in my arms. So, mm. um, yeah, but still, I mean, there's just, despite all of it, there's still joy, whether it's joy because they're healthy or even finding a little bit of joy when they're sick, mm-hmm. it's there. And you providing that safe place for them is what's most important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to just enjoy the time. Yeah. Can you think of any other ways that pet owners and guardians who are caring for feline positive cats can receive support that we haven't mentioned? Um, probably let your cat guide you. Pay attention to how they are, what they're feeling. The one thing that I think helped with both Maisie and Frankie is the connection I had with them when they were healthy. And that connection is what rooted us when they were dying because I allowed them to be them and I allowed them to lead. When Maisie was sick, 
I allowed her to choose how she wanted to do what it was. As a mom, I had to do my own personal work to separate things a little bit, separate my mom heart from my pure heart to allow her to do the things that she wanted to do. She wanted to fight this. The mom and me logically knew that she was not going to beat this, but she wanted to fight it. Mm. And she was doing her processing. And I had to let her do her processing and just make sure that I was there and available for her when she needed. Mm. And I think I was able to do that because the relationship I had with them when when she was healthy. Same with Frankie. When they were healthy, the relationship was super strong that I was able to allow them to be who they were and let them lead the way. And those last two weeks of both of their lives, I did it their way, not my way. I did it their way. And I had to, especially with Maisie, because Maisie was, oh, she was, she was determined. She was determined to beat this. I had to energetically remove myself and just be the support for her because she had to do it her way. And that is probably one of the hardest things to do when you are dealing with a cat who is dying, because we all want to fix it. We want to fix it. We want to comfort. We want to do whatever. Maisie didn't want that. She wanted to fight. And so she was near me when she wanted to be near me. And then she was away from me when she wanted to fight and do her thing. And I just provided the environment for her to do so. And I think that when it comes to the end, that is the best way to support your animal is to allow them the space to process as they need to process. We are not the boss of them. We are their support. We are their guardian. We are not the boss of them. Yes, if your animal is super suffering, you don't want them to suffer. I've never let my animal suffer, but Maisie was still walking around the house and she was doing things that were still Maisie. So she wasn't suffering. She was suffering, but not to the level that I needed to be the executive decision maker. She was suffering to the level that she needed to, to do what she needed to do to process. If that makes any sense. I know that gets a little bit more in the esoteric realm of dealing with a dying animal, but I would say that that was the biggest thing that I could have done to support my animals is to allow them to leak, allowing them to tell me what they want and not just be the master and do it anyway. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a, it's kind of a long way, but it's, I think it's an important part of this whole process. You know, what you do at the end of their life is probably the most important part of the relationship you have with an FELB positive cat. Is it easy? Hell no. Hmm. It isn't easy at all. But I think it's important for the animal to just be and do what they want to do in that moment. You'll know when they're ready to let go, you will know there will not be a question because they will tell you it'll not, it'll be in their eyes. They won't be there. There will be no connection to you. Nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. but until that moment, if they still get excited when they see you, if they still purr when you hold them, they're still doing their processing, allow them to leave. Mm -hmm. You can support our mission about educating about this condition by helping to reduce the stigma and the fear around this virus. And this can be done by spreading awareness, such as by sharing this episode with others. Mm -hmm. Most people fear what they don't understand. So if we can help others to learn more about the feline leukemia virus, we will enable them to make choices through knowledge and understanding rather than through fear. That's the important part. Mm -hmm. You can let people know that if they've got a feline leukemia positive cat, they do not need to be euthanized and that they can still have a quality and fulfilled life. Maybe you might choose to support other cats with feline leukemia virus by sharing about organizations that provide care for these cats. Or maybe you might consider adopting or fostering feline leukemia positive cats if you don't have any feline leukemia negative cats at home, that is. Or maybe donate to shelters that support these cats or volunteer with them. These are all ways that you can provide support even if you're not caring for one of these cats yourself. We're going to also put in the show notes three other resources that you can go to to get more information about this virus. One site is veterinarypartner.vin.com. 
Another one is vcacanada.com. And the third one is dvm360.com. Make sure you go check out the show notes. The more you know, the better you will be. So on that note, if you have any other questions, please feel free to email us. I will definitely do my best to help you with my experiences, help you navigate them. Miranda will help you with all the sciencey stuff if you need to know more about the sciencey stuff. But just please email us if you have any questions. And you can do that at the Animal Files Podcast at gmail.com. We also have our website where we can add these to our website as well. I think maybe we'll just add a whole FELV page at this point. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll have resources there. Currently, there are resources there for lots of other different things. You can get all of our socials on the website. And you can also listen to a podcast straight from the website. And the website is theanimalfilespodcast.com. And if you feel so called, you can donate to us. We have links where you can support us as well. Gosh, it's been a full season. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And these last two episodes, yeah, we ended in style. Hopefully you will go back. There's lots of stuff that we've talked about over this season. We've had lots of interviews next season. We're probably going to double down on a lot of things. (laughs) So make sure you stop by and listen to season four that will be coming out in 2024. And we'll be posting a bonus episode around the holidays. So you can look for that as well. Thank you so much for listening to us all season long. And we will see you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.